right? So our students outperform, or at least historically have outperformed, the college, the regular college first-year students. They also outperform college sophomores. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. Uh, this is Annalise Corbin. Very excited uh, to come to you today from Alaska. Our conversation over the next couple of episodes is all about uh, positive disruptions in education, in particular about models and programs that uh, folks can learn a lot from. And so today we're actually going to be talking about middle college, and we are in Matsu. Alaska, uh, a very beautiful location uh, where some pretty innovative things are happening in school. And our guest today is John Robertson. Uh, John Robertson is the lead teacher, our founding teacher. Uh, he, he's making a face at me a little bit here, but we'll get into a little yeah. bit of how he came yeah. to this journey with us. Uh, social studies and English teacher at the Matsu Middle College School. And joining us is one of the students, a uh, junior at the Matsu Middle College, uh, Kat Barr. So thank you both for joining me. Yeah. You're welcome. So let's jump right in, and I want to start, John, with you. And so um, give us just a, a, a little bit at the highest level. As a teacher in a middle college, what's, what's the appeal to you? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I, I guess I see um, two big advantages to this program for students, you know, when I look at as a, as a teacher. So one, you know, you have students who are in high school and they are intellectually really prepared. They're really prepared intellectually to take on some college level coursework. And we're in a middle college, we're able to provide them um, the opportunity to take college level work in regular college classes where they're integrated fully into uh, the college student body. Um, and they take their courses with college faculty on a college campus. And um, we have a lot of students who are ready for that in terms of their cognitive development, and they see it as a challenge. I mean, these are students who may be somewhat bored in a regular high school. Um, we also have students, there can be an overlap, who are socially and emotionally really ready for more of a college environment and they want to get away from some of the angst of um, of a regular high school and these students also benefit from our program because they're able to get into an environment that's maybe more focused on learning and less focused on sports and that's something that they really um, that they really appreciate so and again there's a big overlap between these two groups but it's two different um, you know, it's, it's two different, it's two different benefits. There's also the monetary side of things where we have students who tell us that the only way they would ever be able to afford to go to college is if they came through our program, started early and earned some college credits, maybe up to two full years of college, uh, through our program where the financing is done 
through the public funding of public schools. And so it's zero, zero financial cost to their families. Right. And we certainly see that across the country in the work that we're doing, looking at early, the middle colleges, uh, a variety of different types of post-secondary advanced programs. So that is a common theme. Kat, um, how about you share with us a little bit about why you opted into this program? Because um, I'm correct in assuming that uh, you, you had a choice in the sense that not every student at Matsu High School is in the Matsu Middle College, correct? Yeah. My homeschool was Colony, and Colony is a great place. There are a lot of wonderful teachers there, some amazing students, but it definitely has its issues, as every school does. As Mr. Robertson stated, there are just different groups of students. I personally would fit into all three. I was not challenged at my previous school. I was um, struggling a lot with not, you know, challenged at all. I would be doing every extra credit project that was available and then still be bored and like falling asleep in class and still have advanced like a hundred percent plus in the grade. And it was just not a challenge to me. Uh, socially I had friends, but it wasn't like true friendship. And it was just kind of a, all right, we'll go to school today. And it wasn't something I looked forward to. And here at the college, every day I kind of get up and I'm like, okay, what am I going to learn today? Or what am I going to, who am I going to see? Or who am I going to like run across in the hallway and be like, Hey, whatever, how are you doing? Uh, and then financially my family, uh, I'm very blessed that we can't afford college and whatnot, but it still is very expensive and I'm going for an art degree and art classes and art supplies are ridiculously expensive, which is very ironic, but I wanted to have, you know, a change in my life and that's why I decided to come here. So it provided you with opportunities you wouldn't necessarily have seen had you stayed in your your homeschool. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the specific program elements that um, in my work around the country and around the world and seeing a lot of programs. And one of the things that always appealed to me from the very first time, actually, that I met John um, was a conversation tied to the way you've evolved components of the program um, over time. And so when the original map Middle College School or the Alaska Middle College School, as it was was called at the time in 2012. So, John, you were one of the the founding participants um, in that endeavor, correct? Yes. So over time, though, you've learned an awful lot along the way that sort of gets you to the way you um, you actually do and lend hand in your instruction today. These programs are successful because of the supports, oftentimes, put in place for the students to really straddle these worlds. And so you guys do a seminar program here. What, 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 is, what does that look like and why did you get there? Well, it's, sort of, it's changed over time. We're probably on the fourth or fifth iteration of it. But when we started back in 2012, we, we didn't have a formal seminar at all. Right. In fact, we were still teaching quite a few high school level courses because we were a small program. We were on a different campus, which is a very small campus. And there were certain courses which were required for high school graduation for which there was no college equivalent being taught. So for our first year, I taught mostly, I taught a lot of high school classes, but in my in my sort of uh, time block during my week, we set aside a little bit of time for students to come in for to get help on papers and things like that in their college level classes. But what we saw uh, towards the end of that first year, really the 
first semester of our second year, we, we saw students who were cognitively quite capable of doing well in um, introductory writing class, for example, but they were failing or they got a D simply because they were prone to procrastination. Well, basically that. So there's more executive functioning skills. So they had a decent knowledge of uh, English syntax and, uh, and paragraphing, and they could even write a, you know, a, maybe a six page paper or a 12 page paper. Even. But, um, but they, but they basically struggled getting that stuff done on time. And so we instituted this support seminar. And as time has gone on, basically the idea is um, all of our students have to, if they're in a college level English class, um, they have to be in a support seminar with me where we can go over English or history or um, philosophy, um, because I can teach all those things. And so the idea is that in the seminar class, I provide them support anywhere from English syntax, and I go over rough drafts with students, and it lets me, so I'll sit down with a student. Um, Sometimes I, I don't do it as often as I would like, but it's two papers minimum per semester. I sit down and I'll go over it might take a half hour or so. I think Kat, I mean... We were I'm, doing it for like an hour and a yeah, half the other day. Yeah, the other day, you know, we had one that was like an hour and a half. There was an economics week. It was especially, you know, especially challenging. That's one of the things that we do. The idea is that although these students have come in able to do the work in some sense, but in another sense, they need some guidance and some support in terms of making sure they get their work done on time. And it also gives me a chance to actually teach them how to write better. Right. Then there's still kids after all, right? So that's one of the things I always remind folks not to lose sight of, right? You, they can be incredibly mature. You know, cats sitting here, no, no doubt falls into that category. But the reality of it is you only know what you know, and you've only experienced so many things. And so we have this obligation uh, to sort of help you navigate to be successful in that space. So Kat, how how does, uh, two, two questions, because I can tell you the thought bubble that, you know, as folks are listening around the world, it's like, oh my gosh. So that's a pretty unique, way that this seminar is structured in terms of the support back to students in those existing collegiate courses. So just to be really clear, Mr. Robertson is not doing your work for you. You are doing it. He is, he is, he is helping you navigate your way through that. Yes? Yes. Yeah. Uh, all, the pro- all of the professors here, the way they teach, it isn't like, all right, I have to do this and that and the other thing. So they just give you the answer. They're like, Here's how to find the answer. Mm-hmm. And they genuinely teach you and like give you ideas. And um, I've actually shown my parents my papers and they're like, wow, we can see in just one semester alone, you've improved weight like so much. So I, there's a big improvement. And I really like seminar because I, I used it as a study hall. Mm-hmm. And anytime I needed help, I would then ask for help. But otherwise I would just work and it could be for any class that I needed help on. Um, so I, I enjoyed seminar. I passed it last semester, so I don't have to take seminar anymore, but I come to the portables every day. So, yeah. And so as, as you sort of think about the the leg up that provided you, do you think the experience would have changed radically for you had you not had that piece built in? Yes. My first semester, if I just went into college classes and didn't have anyone else or any type of high school connection, and it was just like, this is high school, this is college, and not the mid-ground of it, yeah, it would have been horrible. 
now after the first semester, I kind of understand it. I'm like, okay, I'm okay. I can be by myself. But last semester, I was just clinging on with five college classes and sports and everything Mm -hmm. else. Oh, no, I need that support. Yeah, I think that's a pretty typical response. So, so, so John, as you craft that then, and it's a new batch of students coming into that seminar course, taking different classes, it sounds like, as it sort of goes through. And so how, as, how as a teacher, how do you manage the load or the ambiguity to some extent of what comes your way from, from term to term? Well, in some, I would have to say this for some of my seminars, I wish I did a much better job. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've got seminar in like, you know, today at noon and it's, it, it, it actually that particular group is kind of, kind of a handful. Um, <laughs> but it, yeah, it is the difficulty there is the various subjects that everyone is being funneled into. Mm-hmm. So on a given day, you might have students who are working, they have a, they have a major writing assignment due in an English class in say, uh, you know, f- five days. And so they're finishing up rough drafts. And so, you know, how do, so on the one hand, I want to help them with their rough drafts, but on the other hand, I might have a group of four students in a philosophy class who, in terms of their reading, they're trying to uh, understand, um, oh, uh, let's say Plato's Allegory of the Cave. Um, you know, there's something in, in epistemology that they're, they're working on. And so I have to prioritize. Now, I know somewhat in advance of what is going to happen because I have the students give, they have to write up a calendar for me of their major assignments. And so across all of my students, I'm able to see when their major assignments are coming up. So, so when I go into the class, I'm already aware, okay, I'm going to have these students with working on these rough drafts for this class. And so I'll be able to maybe go over a few of those personally, and then I'll go and talk to, oh, I know I need to talk to these four students and just kind of review, um, you know, something out of Plato's Republic. And so basically having the students give me the information about what is going on in their own courses is really crucial. That, and then I kind of plan around that. So the, the real crucial thing is kind of building a communicative relationship where you're able to get the information you need from your students. And the long run payoff of this is that you build these relations in your seminar class because all students are in your seminar class. But then what happens is that when they get out of seminar and they're in their second semester with us or they're seniors with us, you have that relationship. And so these students feel more comfortable coming back to you with papers in rough, say rough drafts, mm-hmm. or just to come back and, and say, you know, gosh, I've got this political science assignment and um, can we just talk about it a bit? And, you know, can you help me out? And of course, as a high school teacher, my, you know, I also say, you know, you should go to your professor and talk to your office hours mm-hmm. as well. But since you're here, we'll talk. Right. Right. And, and, and so the idea is to kind of, um, you know, it's by no means replacing the college professors at all. The idea in my mind when we first started seminar was having something that sort of what like graduate students do for undergrads at a research university. A lot of these middle college programs are not at research universities. You don't have, Correct. You, you, you don't have grad students there. So this is a way of basically kind of filling that niche role that a good graduate student plays for undergrads in a sort of a lecture slash seminar course. And so, so Kat, tell, tell us a little bit about your experience 
sitting in the collegiate piece of, uh, of this, right? you're a high school student. Um, and just to be really clear to our listeners, because this model is a little bit different than some of the other things that we've talked about um, so far um, in the program, in that, as uh, as John said, you, we are actually at Matsu College. So this program in totality is embedded and actually sits at the institution of higher ed. It's not adjacent to, it does have some of its own space, but it's still physically at the college. A lot of these, that's not the case, right? They're just, they're at high schools, but they, they behave differently. This one is fully at the college. So, so when you're here, who does CAP feel like? Which, which piece of this world does it depend on where you're sitting at any moment? When you're in the college class, you're the college student, when you're, when you're over at a seminar, you're a high school student, or do you really have had the opportunity to sort of create a space of your own? Um, no matter what, I feel like a college student because of the responsibility I have to take. But even how the college classes are set up, a lot of the classes I am in cur- like currently enrolled in, there are maybe one to two other middle college students, but otherwise they're adults coming back or whatever it may be. And I love that. It's really cool because I've always gotten along with adults really well. And it's just a different environment because you don't have to raise your hand like, oh, can I go to the bathroom? Or if can I make this comment? You can just say it. If they're like, it's a discussion, we'll get off topic, sometimes related, sometimes not. But it's very enjoyable. Uh, I like that it's on campus. Because at high schools, they're really overcrowded, while here it's like, there's like half the seats are empty. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's nice. I enjoy it being on the college campus. A lot of students here still like to take uh, classes at their home school, which is fine. And uh, you can do that. They have it set up here that you can take classes at your home school, either, like if it will be like ROTC or yearbook or some type of percussion, anything like that, they can go back and do take those classes. And so students go back and forth mm-hmm. fairly independently then yep. between one one piece of the program and their, their home high school in that case. Yep. yep. Okay. So, so John, how do you navigate the relationships between the K-12 component of the middle college? And, and um, so uh, for our listeners, if you uh, are just listening to this one and didn't listen to the previous uh, episode, which sort of sets the stage for what middle college is, um, particularly um, as it relates to Alaska. Go back and listen to that. We'll it's all explained there. But the the relationships as it relates to middle college can be intriguing. Yeah, well, so you, so in Alaska, like I think, I believe every other state in the union, the public education is a right. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, every state established, okay, they're going to provide a public educational system and then up, you know, up to a certain age. So up to grade 12 on, um, you know, the, the children in the state have a right to public education at public expense. Um, but nobody has a right to a college education. Right. Right. And so this sets up sort of two different distinct worlds where one, um, on the public school side, that is K-12, we're all interested in, you know, maximizing opportunity, keeping students in the school, keeping them engaged, and of course, working with families. Because to a certain extent, we act as, maybe this was not how things were understood 20 years ago, but 
at least here where I am now, the school district sees itself really as an extension to assist the families in the education of their own children, right? So we're here as partners with families. We're not in an adversarial role with families. The university system does not exist in an adversarial role with families, but in the university system, each student is considered a radical individual. Right, right. And although they do not have a right to a university education, their their right to privacy with respect to their parents is very strictly, very strictly enforced. There's even federal law on this. And so to a certain extent, that's one thing to sort of navigate where parents who may be very, very interested in how their children are doing in the college literally cannot tell them. Right, right. Right. Now, as part of our program, you have to sign a waiver, right? You have to sign a waiver to get in our program where you sort of have to waive some of the individual student waives his or her um, educational privilege and grants it to us on the high school side. So, but not necessarily to their parents but, or to, well, to the school or to both. But the thing is, they give to us. And then it, the waiver with respect to the parents simply means that the a professor can, if that professor so chooses, okay. may talk to a parent, but in no respect is the faculty member required. And part of what, in fact, our job at the middle college is, is to help the professors do their job by, um, we assume the burden of working with the families. Right, right. So that the professors can be professors and they can be teachers to to their individual students and do not have to be overly concerned, for that matter, concerned at all about what What's about about you know what a family may think of right. with respect to well that. and post-secondary after all was is an adult institution by design right and so it carries a lot of that legacy with it so Kat how how have you found that piece of the experience so to come in so you 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 had to to waive some of those access points but how has that experience been for you and it's different for for every student every family they they all they behave very differently uh, so there's not necessarily universal normal but what's your experience with that been uh, I haven't had any issues or caused any problems. At least I think I haven't. So I, I haven't really experienced anything with that. I have no issue giving someone like, oh, if you need to tell my parent this or that, that's fine. I have a really good relationship with my parents, but I not I know not every student does. And I think it is important because it's like, we're in a adult environment. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, well, the student is being kind of loud, but their parent doesn't need to know, like, they're being really loud and disruptive during seminar. It's like, yes, it is obnoxious to a degree, but it isn't going to ruin the entire thing. It's just one day, one class, whatever it may be. So I, I personally don't think it's an issue or anything else. Mm-hmm. So, so John, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was to point out that the middle college and often middle colleges are embedded in small institutions, small regional campuses, community colleges, small um, independent universities. That, That tends to be the norm rather than at big research institutions. And so 
with that in mind, there there is an implied level of intimacy amongst the relationships. I think that most people would would, would assume that because you are at a small institution, how many students um, roughly at Matsu at the college? So know? at the college, I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, we have 177 or so students in our own program, and I think we constitute maybe a little over 10 percent of the total. Um, student enrollment at Matsu College, but don't don't quote me on no, that. No, no, not <laughs> at all. But 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 the point being is within that small ecosystem, and there are advantages to that. There are disadvantages to that as well, always. But the the small nature of the community, I guess, is really what I'm trying to get so, at. So I guess I would say this. You know, ideally, you know, ideally, there would be a high level of coordination mm-hmm. between the high school teachers, such as myself, and the college faculty. You know, that would be the ideal. In practice, um, you know, what I've seen is that, you know, there's a certain amount of, uh, you know, in an environment this small, there's a certain amount of personality issues, but, but also it's just, we are so busy, right. like all the time. And I have to say, you know, the school administration, and when I say the school, I should say the college administration has really worked They've they've really worked to try to integrate us into the um, sort of the, the the professional cadre here and sort of facilitate uh, discussion. But you know you've got a lot of faculty who you know they don't come to faculty meetings because they're they're really really busy. Right. So there's I would say it's not as the situation is very collegial, but there's not as good communication flow as I would like to say. Just as an instructor. Now that said, that said. Uh, both our principal and our high school counselor meet weekly with the academic counseling staff of the college. And now I'm not in those meetings because I'm a high school teacher, you know, I'm doing my teaching thing. But I know that, you know, in those meetings, they talk about individual students and individual mm-hmm. students are doing. So that's not a conversation between university faculty and high school faculty. But it is a discussion between the academic counselors, both on both sides, and they're both they're getting information from the university faculty and from me, and so and that and that's a way of sort of providing support and, and trading information about about students, right? And I'm ultimately contributing back towards um, long term student success. Yes, and the the students. The students in this program, it's, you know, it's been around since 2012 um, in one form or another, but the students in this program are very successful. The, the Matsu Middle College data is quite impressive um, on, a, on a national level. Your, your data is really, really impressive as it relates to um, some of your students' success, um, as it relates to how they're actually performing when they're sitting in those classes. So what's your explanation? Well, I, I guess I, I have my theories. So I'd, I'd say a couple of things. I mean, if you look at our college data, right? So our students outperform, or at least historically have outperformed the college, the regular college first year students. Mm-hmm. Um, they also outperform college sophomores. They're on par with college juniors. There is a huge gap between college seniors and our, our you know, our 
first and second year students. Um, as, a, as one would think. As one would hope. As, as one, one would hope. Assume, I, I, I obviously yeah. having, you know, having looked at these data, you know, when a college senior, you know, they got four years of college behind them, they, they actually know what they're doing going right. into that first semester of a senior year and second semester. Well, I, I think, you know, for one thing is that I, to a certain extent, we do attract to our program a perhaps a more uh, intellectually focused sort of student than it is the regular application pool for the community college. Right. Right. So there's, so there's that, you know, another thing in terms of, you know, some of the data, well, I'll, I'll just pick one out. So our ACT scores in terms of the essay, okay, the ACT essay test, and I, and I don't want to make too big a deal of this. I mean, I, I'm very skeptical about these data points that is uh, using these as metrics, but we, we've got to use what we have. Exactly. And, and our median SA, ACT, sorry, our median ACT essay score is in the 87th percentile nationally, you, you know, looking at the national norm. And why is it that they're able to do that? Well, number one, we do not teach to the test. I mean, our, when our juniors go in there and take that test second semester, they've already been in a college level writing course. Right. And they've probably been writing several college papers and other courses, history, political science, you know, what have you. And so they've been engaged with college level English instruction. And so they're able to do really, you know, fairly well on what's essentially an extemporaneous writing exam. And it's interesting that they are able to do better on an extemporaneous writing exam than people who are being taught to take an extemporaneous writing exam. Exactly. Well, I think that, that, that goes to um, set and setting and intent and all of those different pieces. So, so Kat, as you sort of think about what's next for you, where does this experience sort of sit in the ecosystem that gets you not just to art school, but, but successful in the way that you, you think about and plan that sort of path to get there? What, what, what role do you think the experience that you've had here in terms of setting you up for that? It's, I'm now ahead. When I'm 18, I'll, I think I'll be about three courses or 12, maybe 12 credit hours off of, not 12 credit, but I'll be very close to having my associate's degree at 18. Mm-hmm. So by the time I get my bachelor's, I'll probably be 22, just turned 22. And Versus other bachelors who would be getting out at 24. So I'll be two years ahead of the game and I'll be younger and I'll have that experience. It's like you, I was this responsible in high school. So imagine how responsible I am now. So applying for a job, there's that. And I'll be able to say I have job experience. I have college experience. And not only did I have the integrity and the desire to start college early, I finished it early. And if I wanted to, I could go for a master's and graduate the same time as someone who didn't do this program, who just came out with a bachelor's. So, so it just moves you down the road a little more efficiently mm-hmm. towards that aspiration. So um, as we have folks listening and thinking about taking on um, whether it's um, building little college programs or other types of programs, um, but there are lots of folks sitting out wondering, I just, it sounds like it's a lot of work and it is a lot of work. No question about that at all. But but Kat, from a student perspective, if somebody's just getting started, the idea on paper, and they're getting ready to design this thing, what's the top two things that you, you would want somebody to know 
from a design standpoint. Like a physical location or just like... It, it could more. be. I'm really more interested, I think, in from a programmatic aspect, you okay. know. So there's another community in Alaska getting ready to start their middle college as a student who's gone through the program. What do they need to know as, as they're at that design phase? I always like to like to, to end each one of the programs with, here's the thing you need to know, right? Because that's really, really useful. Folks are sitting back wondering, what, what am I pulling out of this that's useful to me? Mm-hmm. So what do these folks need to know from the student perspective, Kat? I would say this program, how it's set up, is really efficient. What I've noticed, though, is sometimes teachers and coaches and whatnot at the homeschools forget hey, they aren't just normal high high school students. They're taking college classes and doing, they may have a job, they may have various things outside of just this sport or this activity. And it's like, yes, we're college college students and we're taking these classes and we're doing well, or we may not be doing well, but we're still high school students. We're still kids. And that's, it's a lot of pressure. And sometimes it's like, we need to understand that and need to, have a way that it's like give some space but if that makes sense uh another way i would say that like if you want to make a program like this is have the professors also understand that i've almost all of my professors because of my height and how i look and how i present myself I have had to tell, like, tell all of them that I am a Matsu Middle College. Like, I am a high school student. I'm 16. Uh, in my microeconomics class, they talk about certain things that happened in the early 2000s. I'm like, I was five then. Uh, so there's a little bit of disconnect a lot but does the time. That, but does that matter, do you think, Kat? So, and I asked this question... I ask this question for real for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, we often will advocate, actually, that programs don't. In, in bigger institutions, back to... Uh, to John's comment about the research institutions and sort of the way these programs sit. Um, so oftentimes at big institutions, we actually will advise that uh, there is no notification being made for a variety of reasons. So is, is, is that, have you found that that is a key component to your successful navigating completing those courses? Um, I, I can understand why you may not want to tell a professor and, Treatment may be different. I know when I've gone back to my homeschool, I've I'm treated very differently. If I'm like I go to the Matsu College, either I will get not the most positive responses, or I'll be treated that I'm this super smart, like mm-hmm. advanced student. When that may not necessarily be true, it's just about having integrity and being able to work. Uh, you don't have to. Well, be, people learn differently, right? Yeah. So some folks are going to be, you know, straight A students all the time. They're really great at rote memorization. Other students are, you know, mm-hmm. just, I need to be hands-on and I'm not fitting in this environment. And you change yeah. my environment and something I excel, right? So yeah, lots exactly. and lots of pieces. So the same question to you, John, what, what do I need to know if I'm going down this road? Well, I, I would just say this is that I think an important part of our program is that we are on a college campus and that our students are integrated with regular right. college students. The, the thing that really surprised me the most, I think now, you know, was about our program is that our students, our 16-year-olds, our 17-year-olds, being in classes full of a whole mix of people. So not just people who are, say, in their late teens and early 20s, like regular, you know, so-called traditional college students, but also they have returning students, like Kat said, you know, you have, you have, you know, the people who are in their like 50s and 60s in these courses. And what's remarkable 
is that our students really develop socially and emotionally in that environment, I think, better than when they're just with their own peers. There's something about having those older people in the room that sets a higher level, maybe I shouldn't say higher, but a more adult level of behavioral Mm -hmm. expectations. And also, of course, our concern is also maintaining academic rigor. And the fear is that if you take a college curriculum and you import it into a high school environment, you're only teaching high school kids, does the curriculum sort of slip down? Does the rigor of evaluation and grading sort of slip down? And what we've discovered is that being on being in a having our students integrate into regular college classes, that those other students in there who are paying tuition and who are, you know, adults, especially maybe the older adults, they are really a check on keeping rigor from declining because they want a really hard course. So do many of our so many do of our younger students, although they might be willing to go along with a slide <laughs> down. Um, older people are, you know, less, you know, less willing to accept that. And so I haven't seen any decrease in rigor in the courses that I've, you know, that I sort of keep an eye on. And we certainly see that as, as well. I mean, your, your point is a, a really great one. And I can say that, you know, through my travels and the various programs that I've had the chance to really look uh, look at and, and think with, uh, we see the same thing, that that fully integrated into that collegiate environment um, does, in fact, um, hold, the, hold the rigor component um, across those. And it's good for everybody. All participants benefit from that. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you both very much uh, for taking some time out of your day. Um, for our listeners, we'll have resources. Some of the things that um, you heard both Kat and John talk about today will um, be posted, so you'll be able to uh, download or take a look at a variety of different things. But thank you so much, both of you, for joining me today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.